It's a Bud Light Football Friday. Bud Light, official beer sponsor of the Denver Broncos. Denver Sports Tonight, taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more, denversports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Friday night in the Mile High City. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. We will roll with you for the next hour as rivalry, that's a tough word to say, rivalry, Week is officially upon us. Rivalry weekend, I guess, to be more exact. Buffs and Huskers tomorrow morning at Folsom Field at 10 a.m. The Fox Big Noon kickoff. Of course, everything revolves around the East Coast, so noon out there, 10 a.m. here. And then the Broncos and Raiders will dance on Sunday afternoon at Empower Field at Mile High. 225 kick on CBS. Mace, my guy. Can you think of a more anticipated football weekend in Denver in, I don't know, the last decade? And and I, I will preface that. I understand we've hosted AFC Championships in the last decade. I get that. It's the but, combination thereof. It's right. That we're talking college and pro. But to have a massive game Saturday and a really intriguing game Sunday, that has not happened around here in a long, long time. No, because it takes two teams being intriguing and being in two intriguing situations, right? Yeah, And with all due respect to CU football of the last 15 years or so, how often have the Buffs been intriguing in that span? <laughs> there was Let's the 2016 year. Yeah, the rise they, was real. Yeah, well, they maybe not of, so much. Yeah, they, I, I think they got waxed in the Pac-12 title game, but they sort of snuck up those rankings yes. and uh, peaked in the top 10 maybe at 8, okay. and then it all fell off. Didn't they have a big game? It was Thanksgiving weekend against Utah that year. That sounds right. Okay. So that would have been 2016. Okay. All right. There we go. There we go. 2016 Thanksgiving weekend. Buffs play Utah. And then on Sunday night, the Broncos play the Chiefs on Sunday night football. Okay. And that was, unfortunately for the Broncos, a pretty infamous game. That was Kansas City coming back and then tying it on two-point conversion and then winning it in overtime. Um. It was. It had a you know, a potential game-winning uh, deep strike from Trevor Simeon to Benny Fowler, but then the Chiefs were able to have enough time to drive back down the field and score, and then tied it on two-point conversion. So there we go. Okay, we did find one. Okay, that's why that I time. love you because you're yeah. an encyclopedia of football <laughs> knowledge, and I would not have come up with that. But it, it just feels different with Coach Prime and, and all eyes on the buffs. You and I debated on Wednesday night, will they be the most watched game of the weekend in the college slate? We know they're going up against Alabama and Texas, but they'll either be one or two. And then Broncos Raiders, man, let's start there. Let's start with the Broncos, and we will work our way back to the buffs. Mace, uh, there was some news today surrounding both Jerry Judy and Pat Sertan II. Eh, those are two of the five biggest names on this team, so so fill us in on, on those two guys. Well, Jerry Judy and Pat Sertan were both limited in practice today. That's not a surprise for Jerry Judy. He's coming off the hamstring injury. For Pat Sertan, that was notable because he had not shown up on the injury report before today, and he's listed with an ankle injury. Now, here's the thing. On Friday, or just whenever it is two days before the game, you have to declare if a player is potentially not likely to play. Either okay. 
questionable or out, right? So on Pat Sertan, on Pat Sertan, there was no designation of questionable or out. We should tell you the expectation is he is going to play and that this wouldn't be an issue. With Jerry Judy, on the other hand, the designation was questionable, which I think is very fair given how he's looked coming off of that hamstring injury. We've seen him in practice. I'll say this. He's looked better from day to day. In other words, better from Wednesday to Thursday, better from Thursday to Friday. I don't know if that's going to be enough to where we're talking about Jerry Judy playing. And if he plays, is he going to play extensively? That would probably be a stretch to me. All right, so so with Sertan, you say, obviously, he was not designated. We expect him to play. Yes. But I guess if, if I'm driving down the road right now, my question to you, Mace, is then why even list it? Do they have some sort of obligation to the league to list it? Is it, is it some sort of strategic advantage to uh, not list it? It just it surprises me that it would even go on there if it's not going to hinder his ability, you think you'd want to keep those things in-house. Well, maybe uh, there's a little gamesmanship to it. You get the Raiders thinking, oh, PS2 is a little bit injured. Maybe we'll throw at him a little bit. And then it turns out Pat's felt healthy. So there could be some gamesmanship there going on. I'm not going to dismiss that. But the league is pretty, you know, tries to be pretty much on top of these things. So I think I, I think generally it's on the up and up. All right, sounds good. And obviously there's a history between Devontae Adams and Pat Sertan the second. Devontae catches the game-winning touchdown in overtime last year and uh, then sort of lets everyone know after the game that Sertan wasn't quite ready yet to cover him. Is that, you know, we, we said we would dive into the X's and O's tonight. Is that the most intriguing matchup of this game to you? Because to me, it's the one that jumps off the page. I cannot wait to see PS2, who many think is the best corner in the league, against Devontae Adams, who you can certainly make a case is the best wide receiver in the end. I mean, in terms of best versus best or close to it, yeah, that's the most intriguing one. It may not be the most important or even impactful matchup, but it might be the best one to watch. Yes. You have a kind of funny, impactful matchup that I know you've written about at denversports.com, but, but fill us in on why Isang Bassi versus Hunter Renfro may be the one that fans should be uh, looking at on Sunday. Well, Isang Bassi is not your primary nickel corner. That's usually K1 Williams, but K1 is on injured reserve and uh, you know maybe looking at a, a mid-season return or close to it after he had surgery. So... Kwan Williams is one of the better nickel corners in football. He is. He's very good, and I think very underrated. Yes, he absolutely is. And he brings a lot of flexibility as well because you go back to when he was in San Francisco, this is a guy that you could also bring very very effectively on a nickel corner blitz. So that's another element to throw that you could have thrown at the Raiders with Jimmy Garoppolo setting in, settling in for his first game at quarterback. So you don't have Kwan Williams. And it's saying Bassey had a terrific training camp. And a terrific preseason. He's had interceptions in each of the preseason games. I mean, he, he staked his claim to a roster spot pretty comfortably, and then the K1 Williams injury basically gave him right now a starting shot. Hunter Renfro is one of the best route runners in football, and he's somebody who's going to really tax a nickel cornerback mentally because he's going to try to get you off balance. He's good at using he's good at using his head to kind of lean you in one direction, get you get you in another. Because with Hunter Renfro, there's nothing in his measurables, size, speed, hand size, all that. Nothing is measurables that says he should be one of the most effective slot receivers in football, but he is. 
And it's it, it's because of how he sets up a defender. So the challenge for Isang Bassi is going to be pretty pretty profound. And maybe the the sternest challenge from a slot receiver that he's going to face, and he's going to get him right out of the blocks. And oh, by the way, with Jimmy Garoppolo replacing Derek Carr, the Raiders' offense changes because Garoppolo is more of a rhythm and timing passer. His average depth of target is not what Derek Carr's is, so it's going to be short to intermediate anyway. Everything was setting up for Hunter Renfro to have a bigger role in this offense, including Darren Waller no longer being with the team. And now you have a matchup where you've got someone like Renfro going up against a reserve stepping in at nickel corner. This is something that I would expect the Raiders to try to test and we'll see if Isang Bassi is ready for it. If he shows the same kind of instincts and quick moves on the ball that we saw in the preseason and, and quick ability to adapt, we saw that in the Cardinal game where yep. he got beat on that one third down, and then the next third down the receiver slips. But even if the receiver is there, Rondale Moore, Bassey's in the right spot to at least break up the pass because Rondale Moore slipped. It was a pretty easy pick for Isang Bassey. That shows you just how he learns and adapts, and I imagine there's going to be some on-the-fly learning and adapting for Isang Bassey going against Hunter Renfro on Sunday. But that's a huge matchup to watch. Okay, that's a good one to note. Remember, Renfro was awesome in 2021. Uh, He had over 100 catches, over 1,000 yards, 9 touchdowns. He was hurt a lot last year, only played in 10 games. Had 36 catches, 330 yards, and two touchdowns. So Renfro, again, on people's radars in 21, a disappointing injury-riddled 22. So while there's a lot of pressure on Bassey to sort of prove, hey, those three interceptions weren't a fluke, I'm here to stay, there's also a lot of pressure on Renfro Mm -hmm. in an offense base that you look outside of Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs, and I know I'm not dismissing those two. We'll talk plenty about Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs, but outside of those two, there's no one that scares you. Darren Waller is gone. Jimmy G, you know, ultimately in the passing game. Josh, you know, you, know, you get you get Jacobs, Adams, and Renfro. I mean, that's a pretty good trio. Uh, but you're not worried. But, but, but you're not I'm, worried about the tight end position the way you were Darren Waller. Yeah, but but I'm also believe me. I know what Renfro did in 21. I also know he did jack squat in 22. He was also like you mentioned, hurt. I'm gonna wait to see it. I I think when I look at the Raiders, t- tell me if this is a fair statement. When I look at the Raiders, if you can contain Adams and contain Jacobs. And I'm not saying shut them down. I'm saying contain. Don't let them go off. There is a 0% chance the Broncos lose this game. The only way the Raiders win this game, in my eyes, is if Devontae has a big game against PS2 and if Jacobs does what we've seen him do so many times in the past, and that's run over this team. Well, the other thing you're forgetting about there is Max Crosby on the other side. I'm talking strictly offense. Strictly, Strictly, yeah. Now, could Crosby wreck the game and the Raiders win 13-10? I guess. I guess. But I think if we come in next week and Devontae Adams has six catches for 73 yards and Josh Jacobs has 20 carries for 80 yards, the Broncos won this game. How much did Jacobs do as a receiving back? Because he's a pretty good back out of the backfield as well. And there have been games where when they haven't gotten the running game going, the Raiders have used Jacobs as a pass catcher to kind of get him involved and get him in space. And I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, something like four or five catches for 20, 25, 30 yards would not be the end of the world. I just have these, these you know, flashbacks, not pleasant ones, of Jacobs just running guys over. Mace, how many times have we seen Josh Jacobs go for 21 carries, 146 yards, and two touchdowns against these Broncos? He's outstanding at making people miss, and he's outstanding at making people miss at the second level as well. And that's and that's where some of his explosives come from. The other thing is also Josh Jacobs against the Broncos is remarkably consistent. Yes. 
As in he beats them up every single time. And that's the thing. Like, you look at this Raiders six-game winning streak that they've had, and it's actually seven of eight going back to 2019. The one the Raiders lost in that span last game of the 2019 regular season, Josh Jacobs did not play. So when Jacobs plays, the Raiders are 7-0. and And that was a very low-scoring game, if I recall. It came down to Shelby Harris deflecting the two-point conversion to win it at the end yeah. of the Broncos. And then Max Crosby, the dude has 11.5 sacks in eight games against the Broncos. He has eight sacks in the last four games against the Broncos. <laughs> Max Crosby has been a problem, that a riddle that the Broncos have been unable to solve. Now, that being said... This is where I think the things that Sean Payton wants to do formationally, I think, are going to help. Because I do, and some of it is necessity, especially if Jerry Judy is limited or not out there at all. You're going to have to go with with plenty of two tight end packages. Yes. And that means you're going to have somebody chipping to help out on Max Crosby. That's what you're going to have to do. Job number one is to keep him out of the backfield and keep Russell Wilson upright. Because Crosby could do a lot more than wreck the game. He could wreck the season if we see some of the pass protection issues on the flanks that we saw in training camp. Yeah, and we know Crosby's obviously not scared of anyone. If you watch quarterback, you saw the epic scene between Max Crosby and Patrick Mahomes in Arrowhead. Mahomes just losing his mind, not even knowing what he's saying to Crosby and then admitting that, hey, if Andy's got to calm me down a little bit, I probably took it a little too far. Crosby seems like... I think he's a good dude off the field, but he is a supreme agitator on the field. Garrett Bowles and Mike McGlinchey up for that challenge, I would like to think, but also they got to be careful not to let him get under their skin Mm -hmm. because it seems like that's an element of Crosby's game too. Well, and he even does that to teammates. I don't know if you saw the clips in training camp of Michael Mayer, the tight end they took in the second round, and... Max Crosby basically gave Mayer all of his welcome to the NFL moments. Oh, no, I didn't. Knocking him down on the ground. More than once, okay? I mean, first of all, you're asking a tight end, doesn't matter where you're drafted, but you're asking a rookie tight end to come in and draft and uh, block Max Crosby, okay? That's trial by fire right there. Mm, it's a oh. fun first day at the office. Yes, and I think Crosby, again, like you said, by all accounts, a nice guy, but when the helmet goes on and he buckles the chin strap, and this is true for a lot of guys, the switch can flip like that. Obviously, with Chandler Jones, it's a it's a very uh, delicate situation. Certainly, is hoping he's getting the help he needs. He's sort of mocking that right now. We don't need to dive into his Instagram posts and the Raiders sending someone to his house to check on him. All that we do know, though, that Jones will not play. Josh McDaniel mm-hmm. said that today. Is that? Obviously, it's an advantage for the Broncos. Chandler Jones has had some great years in this league. But is that even more reason you can double-team Crosby and focus on him because you don't have that threat of Jones on the other side? What I'm asking you, Mace, is how big of a deal it is that, again, we're not talking about Chandler Jones in his situation. We're talking about Chandler Jones, the football player, not being on the field on Sunday. Yeah, in that regard, the football perspective, it's massive because all of a sudden you're not as worried about anyone else on the Raiders uh, in the front seven. I mean, you look around at the Raiders, at, at the Raiders and what they've got out there. I mean, there are some intriguing parts. I mean, you go to cornerback Marcus Peters. If he can tap into the Marcus Peters of old, that's go- he's going to be highly effective. But it's very much a Raiders defense that looks to be on the weaker side personnel-wise. Yeah. And 
you take Chandler Jones out. If you doubled Max Crosby and left Chandler Jones one-on-one, Jones, even at this stage of his career, is still capable of winning a lot of those matchups. You take him out, then the the opportunity is there if you take care of Max Crosby for Russell Wilson to have some comfort when he's back there in the pocket. And also, we talked about the Broncos' protection. It has gotten better over the course of the last few weeks. It was better in the preseason play. It was better against San Francisco than it was against Arizona in the opener. Where are we at with a realistic expectation for this offense on Sunday? I, I don't want to talk big picture here. We, we've talked big picture all summer. I'm really glad we can hone in and focus on a single game. Where are we at expectations-wise? Obviously, we know the curse of Nathaniel Hackett and the curse of the 16 points. And I, I've heard some guys on the station today, including Brandon Stokely, predicting that the Broncos will score in the 30s on Sunday. But what's a number that you could, assuming they don't have a pick six, something like that. Now, a pick six would be great, but let's strictly talk offense here. What's a number that you could wake up Monday morning as a Broncos fan and go, you know what, they reached number X. I'm glad they got there. Because to me, it's 24. Bingo. That's the that magic number. Give me my number, 24. Okay. About a touchdown more than you had last year against a below-average defense that it's missing one of its key players in Chandler Jones. If you get to 24 points, okay, it's not great, but you're feeling like okay, this is a good first step, and and uh, and we'll see where you go where it goes from there. I mean, I thought I actually thought Sean Payton said something interesting today toward the end of his press conference. I asked him sort of about about uh, week one and kind of what what goes through your mind. I mean. The way he described it was, it's like, it's like a teacher that you've had a whole semester and you're getting a big exam. You think you're doing well, but you're anxious to see. And that tells me that even Sean Payton doesn't entirely know what it's going to look like on Sunday. And that's a really good quote because that's an analogy we can all relate uh-huh. to. Uh, a- anyone who's, I don't know, 14 years or older who's listening to this has probably taken a big test at some point in their life where they felt really good about it going in. Mm-hmm. But until you see how you do... You're not so sure, and the, and you can prep all you want, and sometimes you look at it, and the first question, you go, well, I didn't prep for that one, right. and then the whole test is kind of going off the rails, so I like that that answer from Peyton. It's an honest one. He's he's telling you he feels good, Mace, but he's going to feel a lot better come 5 o'clock Sunday night if it, it looks good. And how many times have we been deceived in recent years by Broncos teams going up against each other in training camp thinking, oh, well, that's looking pretty good. Well... Yeah, it's looking pretty good because you were going against a 6-10 and 10 defense right. there, right? right? I mean, I think we've all fallen victim to that over time. It's part of the conundrum of rooting for a below-average team is that you see things going well, but is it a product of things actually improving or is it a product of the opposition that you're seeing on an everyday basis? Or even this camp, Mace. We all know what happened the first week. It wasn't very pretty, mm-hmm. and Justin Simmons was picking off Russell Wilson every day. All of a sudden, Simmons goes out. It looked uh-huh. really good the last two weeks. Yes, all of a sudden, the turnovers dried up, or the takeaways dried up for the defense. Turnovers evaporated for the offense. Because, and you're going to find out, was that because of improvement or because Justin Simmons wasn't out there? I'm going to take the Zach by approach and say two things can be true at the same time that the offense did get better, that things did tighten up. But certainly, 
especially those first few days without Justin Simmons, I think not having him out there had an impact. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That, that, that Yes, the offense looked better. I was at almost every practice. I promise you it looked better. But, yes, 31 not being on the field was a big deal. All right, so we sort of – we've talked game records. We've talked offense. Let's, let's hone in on this defense now. I know we've talked Bassey and Renfro, a little PS2 and Devontae. But the edge rushing is going to be so key. Pressure on Jimmy G is going to be so key. Jonathan Cooper listed as a starter ahead of Frank Clark – that's where I kind of begin this conversation. I know you spoke with Frank about it. Is Frank kind of along for the ride and ready for the role, or is Frank sort of uh, not real happy that Jonathan Cooper's ahead of him? I think he's okay with it. I mean, it, it's going to be a rotation, and that's kind of what you have to do when you don't have the alphas in the way that you used to have. Look, you don't have Von Miller. You don't have Bradley Chubb. But, but, but you're, you're, trying, to, Clark you're trying to Frank, recreate in the aggregate. Yeah, Frank Clark thinks Frank Clark's an alpha, though. Yeah. Frank, Frank Clark's pretty proud of Frank Clark, and rightfully so. Frank Clark is look at also, his playoff success. Yeah, look at his playoff success. For whatever reason, Frank Clark is not as efficient in the regular season as he is in the postseason. And also, don't forget, he did, he basically didn't have the off season, so he arrives at the start of training camp. I think what you're looking at right now is a situation where you've got Gregory Cooper, Benito, and Clark. Yep, and. I think you'll probably see more snaps from Gregory and Cooper, but I I think it might be like we're talking about them getting, what, 60% compared to 40%. So not significant. Yeah. And with those four, you, you obviously we know Baron Browning is working his way back. We all hope he's back soon. He, he has to sit out the first four, but the mm-hmm. rehab seems to be going well. With those four, Mace, I will ask you this and put you on the spot a little bit. Who are we talking about on Monday morning? Who are who are Mike and Mark discussing, hey, this dude made the play of the game, getting a Jimmy G, hopefully a couple sacks, maybe a strip sack if we're feeling greedy. Because I, I sit here tonight, Friday night, I could see it being any of the four. I really could. It's not like I think any of the four are Hall of Famers necessarily, or it's not like I think any of the four are bums. I think all four are pretty solid NFL players. Yeah, they're just we're not talking about like all pro pro bowl level. We're talking about Okay, your first team is fine, but your second team is – if Frank Clark and Nick Benito are your second team edge rushers, that's better than most teams in the NFL are going to have, especially Clark. Benito, Benito is like – right now is a classic sub-package pass rush specialist because if he's out there and it's a – and it's a down – and it's a down where you might be more likely to run. Like if it's like second and eight and he's out there, don't be surprised to see Jimmy G check into running – in Benito's direction. he's Teams are going to do that until Benito, in regular season play, proves that he can set the edge better. Yeah, but, but I, Benito but I, but at least showed in camp that, yeah. like, maybe there's something there. Because I went out of his oh, rookie. He can, he, can, he can rush the passer. And we even saw it in camp last year against Dallas when he had that big day in the joint practices. He has explosive pass rush ability. I just went out of his rookie year thinking potential bust. I left camp thinking... Rotation player. I'm excited to see what he can do. It's, it's, he won yeah. me over more than anyone else at that training camp. It's a question of using him properly right now until all the facets of his game developed. He basically didn't have to do very much against the run at Oklahoma. So you're starting from zero. It helps that you've got his position coach from Oklahoma now on the staff. That's going to help him up. But to go back to your question, yeah. who do you think we're talking about on Monday of those four? Randy Gregory. Mm. He's healthy. When he is healthy, he's the best of that group. Yeah, and we we sort of saw that in Seattle last mm-hmm. year. Like it was immediately clear that Randy Gregory was flying all over yes. the field, and I think he's going to fly all over the field on Sunday as well. 
It's just going to be a hold your breath situation every time, you know. Well, it just yeah. it's, it's the sad truth with Randy Gregory. I just don't want to see the play stopped and the announcer tell me. I'm not even sure who's on the call. I should probably know that. Uh, say, oh, we got a play stoppage because so-and-so is down. We're trying to get a number. Oh, that appears to be Randy Gregory of the Broncos. Like, I just, I, I know he's only been here one year, but I feel like, Cowboys fans would sympathize with us on this. There's those deja vu moments of this guy has been on the sideline more than he's been on the field. So I'm really excited to see it. Mm-hmm. And you're darn well right. Come Monday morning, we may be talking about Randy Gregory. But if I'm going to be honest, it's mm-hmm. test one of 17 for Randy in terms of staying healthy. And even if he plays 12 or 13 games, I'll call that a win. It's Tom McCarthy on the call. Tom McCarthy, right. James, James Lofton, and Jay Feely. The other thing is when a guy gets hurt, this is total old school, but if you played... Madden back in the early 90s on like Super Nintendo or Sega Genesis. Uh-huh. The thing you may always remember is the late Pat Summerall's voice saying, Oh no, there's a man down. <laughs> I kind of can, I can kind of hear that, Mace. I can. The, the other thing you can see is from like the really early 90s versions before they had the full NFL licensing. Yeah. The ambulance coming onto the field and just running over players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the graphics weren't quite as good. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay, so uh, who'd you say? James Lofton, Tom McCarthy. And Jay Feely. And Jay Feely. So Jay Feely gets to watch his son kick on Saturday in Boulder and then call the Broncos game on Sunday. All right, well, that is a good tease because we've got two big things left to dive into in this show. We have not mentioned the name Josh McDaniels yet. And believe me, we're going to talk plenty of Coach Prime, Buffs, Huskers, coming up next. It's a Bud Light Football Friday. Bud Light, official beer sponsor of the Denver Broncos. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Happy to have you along on this Friday night. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. Rivalry weekend is... Well, really, hours away in some sense, about 15 and a half from kick between the Buffs and Huskers at Folsom Field. By now, you've heard how expensive the tickets are almost three times the get in the door price up in Boulder as it will be in downtown Denver for Broncos and Raiders on Sunday. I mean, we're talking Taylor Swift level here. If you want good seats, we are. Yes. No doubt. No doubt. And even a nosebleed, you're looking at, you know, four, four hundred bucks, something like that. It's, uh, it's one of those things that people want to be able to tell their friends, their family, and if you look down the road, their kids, their grandkids, I was at Coach Prime's debut mm-hmm. in Boulder. Yeah, and, and also on top of that, I think not only wanting to be there, but you get the Nebraska element on top of it. Correct. And smelling blood in the water with the Cornhuskers after a pretty underwhelming debut for them under Matt Rule up in Minneapolis last weekend. Let me start with the obvious, and let's... Just get it out of the way. The elephant in the room. (laughs) Percentage of the stadium that is red tomorrow, because that seems to be kind of the number one hot-button topic around town. Well, what was it the last time the Huskers came in? Didn't it seem like about a solid 35%? You could tell me it was awesome. You could tell me it was more 50-50. It was almost a Okay. Yeah. I'm probably soft-pedaling it a little bit. But this time, you had more season tickets sold. You have more tickets in the hands of Buffs fans to begin with. I think it's going to be only about 10%. 10? Oh, Mace, I love you. That feels low. I I hope you are right. I think this is going to be a legit Buffs home game. I really do. Oh, Mace, I think it's at least a third red. Oh, I don't think so. I mean... 
Buff Nation has responded so wonderfully to everything. They this have, but those pesky they Huskers those, always I, travel. They always I, they travel. Do, they do. They, they always travel. They always find a way. Look, you're talking to somebody who, when when all the stuff went down with Prime getting hired and looked on the schedule, I said, hmm, I wonder if they could move this game to Empower Field at Mile High because 76,000 wouldn't have been enough. No, you could fill that thing in a heartbeat. You could fill it twice. Yeah. Three times. KJ, but, break, break the tie for us. You, you think Mace's 10% is, uh, is, is just being optimistic, or is there a chance? I, I say a third, and even that, I, I hesitate maybe a, a pinch low. I am leaning more towards Mace because I think CU bought the hype a long time ago, and I think this, between the students, the alumni, and I think understanding what Dion could potentially do with his first game in Boulder. Yeah, I think a lot of people were like, "Hey, I want to be there. I don't want a Nebraska fan to experience what I should be be experiencing." That's all very well said, Macy's on your side, mm-hmm. boys. I just hope I'm not sending you a screenshot tomorrow of that aerial shot going. Hey, look, that stadium's forty percent red. Okay, now the capacity of Folsom Field is a touch over fifty thousand. Correct. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, to me, I mean, you, the usual road team allotment is what? A couple of thousand tickets? Very low. Okay, and then that's another 3,000 that find their way in. That's about 5,000. That's 10%. That's enough to where you're going to hear Husker Nation, if anything goes right. And uh, I'm, skeptic, I'm skeptical that much will go right. But then again, I... I know a little about uh, Matt Rule and what went down in Carolina from people I know out there. And okay. Matt Rule... With the Carolina Panthers in the NFL was a complete clown show. Can you give us a little tea? Little, little more than clown show. Uh, why, why did it, why did it not work? I guess, and you don't have to spill the well, secrets. But the, I, I can, I can get into this, and maybe it'll be different now that he's back at the college level. But you can't pull the high school hairy type of motivational stuff and expect it to work. Gotcha on pros. Gotcha. Like you had people rolling their eyes constantly at whatever kind of comparison uh, Matt Rule was trying to make. Like, you remember the the press conference where he talked about, like, uh, you know, how long it took Jay-Z to really succeed? Yes. You know, it's... And his players are just sitting there going, really? This is the dude in charge? Yes. There was an awful lot of that in Carolina. Like, this this guy guy is the one in charge. And the amazing thing is, like, there was a bidding war for Matt Rule at the time. One of the reasons why the why the Panthers backed up the Brinks truck for him was because the Giants were hot on him. Because the thing that Matt Rule had was he worked in the NFL before, so you thought, okay, this guy has been an NFL assistant. He understands the minefield. He understands how it's different. Eh, not so much. All right, a lot coming in on the Ramoslaw.com text line, 303-713-1043. From the 5663, Will, I've been working in Boulder. The buzz from these college kids is super high. Definitely going to be a lot of CU kids. Listen, I'm not going to disagree with you there. There's been stories going around about CU kids who want tickets and can't find them. So I appreciate the text. 9743, I just left Boulder and saw a lot of red in town. Oh, boy. 0605, I'm a Buff fan, and fellas, it will be half red. So, oh, I hope not. I, come on, I, I, come on, come on, Buff Nation. I'm not trying to be that guy, KJ and Mace, but the, uh, uh, the text line—that's just a sample of about the, the 15 wor- that have come in. The worry that you have is that for all the people who want to be there for Prime's debut. 
that there are just as many who say, I could pay for my entire season ticket by selling my two seats for this game to to Ollie from Ogallala. Or, you know, or or or, or um Omar from Omaha. <laughs> there you go. Or, you know, or Larry from Lincoln. Yes. Well, thank you. Yeah. 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 Gary from Grand Island. You okay. know, we'll just go through we'll just go down the list. All right. Well, I just hope uh when folks are driving up thirty six tomorrow, you're not seeing Nebraska license plates on your left and on your right and in front of you and in your rear view. We will find out. But I do I do want to talk about this game, Mace. Let's let's talk about this game. Obviously, Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter just burst onto the scene in TCU, uh, in Fort Worth against TCU week one. Shadur over 500 yards, four touchdowns, school record. Travis Hunter plays 129 snaps. Oh, let's not forget Dylan Edwards had three touchdowns, and they had four receivers go for more than 100 yards. Do you think there is any chance that a Nebraska team that only gave up 13 to Minnesota can contain this monster that is the Buffs' offense tomorrow. I mean, I don't think Nebraska has uh, the overall athleticism to contend with what CU can offer. I mean, uh, in terms of skill positions, CU is faster. CU is is better equipped. But the thing is, and I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens, um, does Nebraska try to take the air out of the football? Do they try to take the game out of the hands of Jeff Sims, who, by the way, Jeff Sims had the worst passer rating of any quarterback in the Big Ten last week. That could fix the CU defense. Yes, it could. But do they just say, we are going to, we're, we're going to pound it, we're going to go, we're going to go bread and butter. If we, even if we're not moving the ball effectively, we're going to choose some time, we're going to try to shorten this game. That's That's their best chance of winning. The best chance is to make this game in terms of pace and tempo. And remember, now the clock runs more up until the up until the last two minutes of each half. The clock isn't stopping for first downs. The clock the, the the clock is going to move. So you can you look around college football. It wasn't the case for obviously for for T for TCU and CU last week because they were playing an up and down track meet. But around college football, you're seeing some teams having twenty twenty five fewer snaps even yeah. than they did last year. And that's Nebraska's best shot is to shorten the game and grind it out. And I think they're. And I think Matt Rule will try to do that. All right, it's uh, prediction time because we're going to finish the show on the Broncos. Mace, do the Buffs get to two and zero under Coach Prime? And does the Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter, Heisman Trophy train pick up even more steam as CU looks to become a top twenty team next week? I think they do, and I think maybe it won't be a, as impressive as some CU fans are going to want. I think everyone's hyped, and they look at Nebraska as a wounded animal. A wounded animal can be dangerous. But I think you'll see a 27-17 type of win for the Buffs. Yeah, that would certainly uh, get people uh, get people their cheddar, so they would be happy with 27-17. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you this, Mace. Nebraska does have a reputation for losing close games, so may, you know what, maybe let me, let me make that 27-20 because the Nebraska MO in recent years. One score. One score losses. It's incredible. Like, it, you know, Scott Frost had him. Mickey Joseph had him last year as the interim head coach. They just, these guys are absolute dog crap in one-score games. With apologies to anyone on the station I missed. I don't think I did. Mike, Mark, Nate, Orlando, Chad, uh, Brandon, Zach, d Cecil, you, Jake, James, Rachel, you know the list. 
I believe I was the only one to pick the Buffs straight up last week, and I did it on air, and I got a lot of flack for it. It certainly worked out. So, Mace, I'm going to double down that not only they win, I think they win big. Drew was wearing his 62-36 shirt around here earlier. Okay. Give me the Buffs by 20-plus. I'm going to say 42-14 to Buffs. I think that type of game is coming next week. Yeah. (laughs) For the Buffs against We love our Rammy friends. We do. But that one could get a little ugly. All right, I say 42-14, May says 27-20. Either way, 2-0 would be good for the Buffs. But we're 41 minutes into this thing, and the most hated coach in Broncos history is coming back to town on Sunday, and we'll dive into it. How much do you still despise Josh McDaniels? Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Denver Sports Tonight. Haven't been this excited for a weekend of football with two Colorado teams in a long, long time. Buffs and Huskers tomorrow, uh, I want to say afternoon, it's the morning. You don't finish in the afternoon, but 10 a.m. tomorrow morning at Folsom Field. And then Broncos and Raiders, 225 Sunday at Empower Field at Mile High. Too early. 10 a.m. Yeah, it's too early. I'm Will Peterson. Uh, I don't want to have that debate with you right now because we're just going to agree. And I think 90% of people would agree. 10 a.m. is too early for a kickoff, but... You want Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson? That's uh, that's what you signed up. For. If I ran for president, I would run one of with one of my platform planks being that there would be no morning local time kickoffs, first pitches, tip offs, anywhere. Twelve oh one is the earliest you're uh, allowing uh, anything. Uh huh. Exactly. I love it. That's yeah. a, I would vote for you, good sir. Thank you. That Thank is- you. I, I think that's something that we all can get behind. We disagree on so much. Let's agree on this. Yeah, that would work on both sides of the aisle. All right, Mace, Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels, 649 if you're listening in real time. And we have not talked about Josh McDaniels, obviously, because wounds heal. And it has been a long, long time since Josh McDaniels was the head coach of the Denver Broncos. You've seen the John Foxes, the Gary Kubiaks, the Vance Josephs, the Vic Fangios, the Nathaniel Hackett's, a couple interim coaches in there. You have seen a lot of men lead the Denver Broncos as head coach since Josh McDaniels was run out of town in such embarrassing fashion to this franchise. Where is the hate meter with McDaniels these days amongst Broncos country? I'm not asking you personally, but you're, you have the pulse of Broncos country. I feel like it has cooled off significantly, and he is no longer uh, the most loathed man in this town's sports history. I think he's still loathed, but I think a lot of that sort of played itself out last year, those first two games going up against him, right? And that's why it hasn't been a story to the same same degree. Even though the Raiders did beat the Broncos twice and McDaniels was the coach for both of them, I feel like it's certainly ebbed a bit. And also, there are some fans, and I don't agree with this, there are some that despise Nathaniel Hackett more than Josh McDaniels. I would say, okay, I think Hackett, in terms of how he handled a lot of things, I think was a better person on the job than Josh McDaniels was. Definitely. And that's why... And it doesn't mean he was a good coach, but a better human yeah, being. Yeah. yeah, he didn't cheat. Yes. Hackett, Hackett you know, wasn't illicitly taping uh, someone else's walkthrough at Wembley Stadium the way that Josh McDaniels was involved with doing. So because of that, to me, McDaniels will always kind of be on that... High level of enmity in terms of how in terms of how you feel about him. 
Yeah, and, and I've called Hackett the worst coach in Denver Broncos history, and I know exactly what I'm doing when I say that, and I maintain that. He was the worst coach. You are bringing in other layers in terms of the fabric of the human, mm-hmm. and yes, McDaniels wins that battle. I agree with you on that. X's and O's, I still think Hackett was the worst. W- with McDaniels coming back to Denver this weekend, I mean, like, does he get booed? Do do fans really even plug into that? He'll boo. They'll boo him. Yeah, okay, but if when they have- announce his name, Josh McDaniels and the Las Vegas Raiders, there will be boos, and I think a fair amount of those boos will not so much be for the Raiders as for Josh McDaniels. I was going to say, though, like, are we just booing the Raiders because they're the Raiders and we hate the Raiders? Uh, or is there this extra, like, I, I, what, I, what I guess the root of this that I want to know, and, and I don't think he is as much, and maybe that's just me. Like, is he still this, like, massive, massive villain in Broncos country? Or have we been so beat down and cycled through so many head coaches that Josh McDaniels is kind of an afterthought at this point? He's fallen down the list. I don't think everyone's completely forgotten, but I think I don't necessarily think that time is healed. I just think that other things have happened. Kind like of the like last seven years to, have yes, happened, right? Like other woes have just piled upon it, uh, which means it's farther in the rearview mirror. It's not something that's necessarily foremost in everybody's mind. But I think when you see Josh McDaniels on the scoreboard, like if they do an up close shot of him on the Godzillatron that they've got at the south end of the stadium. <laughs> I like that name. Thank you. Um, people are going to boo. Yeah, the boos will rain down. No, yes. I would agree with you on that. You you show that man on the uh, fifth largest scoreboard in the NFL, and and the boos will rain down. All right, Mace, we've got a few minutes here to to put a bow on this thing. Listen, I've said it all along. I've said it all summer. I've said it since what May when we got the schedule. They have to start two and zero. They have to, and I've heard a lot of talk on the station today. Ah, you got to start one and zero. No, I, I, I think, and I know you think the Commanders are going to be better, and we'll, we'll dive into that next week. I promise you, but I think they have to start two and zero to have a legitimate chance to end this playoff drought. I don't like the term "must win" this early in the season, but it's a must-have in my book. You've got to beat the Raiders on Sunday if you have aspirations of playing in the place uh, in the playoffs well, this year. The one thing though is that if you lose this one, even though. It's going to be, man, like, we should have had that. That's a team we're better than. We, th- we think we're better than. We should beat them. There are still plenty of opportunities to get that back. That's the thing that kind of jumps out. Okay, if you lose this one, well, who's to say that you don't make up for that with a surprise win against the Chargers in December, right? I hope you're right, but I'm You've just... got opportunities there. That's, <laughs> that's why it's hard for me to look and say, oh, a week one game is a must win. I do think they need to come out of these two at one and one, and I would like to see this team finish the first four games at two and two or better. If you're doing that, that means you're still in line to accomplish some things. That being said, you're gonna have you're gonna have to probably steal a game in October at some point. Steal one from the Jets. Steal one from the Chiefs. You're going to have to beat the Packers at home. Yes, but I, I hesitate to say anything for a team that also I think is is still building and growing. I hesitate to say that anything is a must-win right now. See, I think with the Chiefs, we can say that. That the Chiefs losing the Lions last night. No one's saying the Chiefs' season is over by any stretch or they're not going to make the playoffs. You're saying, yeah, you, silly you, like you that. were saying it on the text chain last night. It's, it's Travis Kelsey thing. It, it was. It was. And I, I wish we had more time to dive into that, but... I don't know, man. For a team that hasn't made the playoffs in seven years, losing to the Raiders, who I think are a six-win team, 
That just can't happen. That's why I'm calling it a must-have on Sunday, and that's that's where we disagree a little bit to end the show. But the Broncos have lost six in a row to these guys. I mean, it's a, it's a baby step, but it's a first step. But hopefully you'll take that step on Sunday. If not, you'll be waiting th- waiting four months because you don't see him again until after the new year. And who knows what's on the line in Week 18 for either team. Yeah. So this this We're fixing to find out. We are. This very well could be the game uh, this year between the two squads, the only one that matters. All right, guys, we made it. Enjoy the weekend of football. Seriously, how much fun is this? For KJ, for Mace, I'm Will. It's DST on the fan. Die in this game. Archie was the best. Boy, I ain't the fight to the flame.